Blog Talk Radio. It's Film Festival Radio, the show where superstars and future stars happily coexist together. And now, here's your host, Janice Malone. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to Film Festival Radio Show. Thank you for tuning in. Hopefully, you've been having a great week. Well, listen, we've got a lot of show here, so let's get right to it. Well, there's a new film. Actually, it's been out a few months, but it is making a lot of buzz. I mean, buzz, a lot of good, good buzz. The title of it is Feeling Through, and it is a film short and is the first film to feature a deaf-blind actor in a lead role. Now, the film is based on a true story that uh, writer-director Doug Rowland experienced in his own life a few years ago. It's kind of one of those uh, coming-of-age type storylines that follows um, this African-American teen. Uh, he's a teen in the movie. Uh, the character's named Tariq. And Tariq is sort of wandering through the streets of New York, you know, kind of desperately looking for a place to just crash. And then he encounters this character, Artie. And Artie is a deafblind man who needs some help with getting home. And therein lies the story. That's where everything begins. It's kind of an awkward meeting between, you know, these totally strangers from two different worlds, but it becomes a very close bonded friendship between really good friends. And it takes the Tariq character on a journey that just really changes his life forever. Uh, again, I, as I said, the film is directed and written by Doug Rowland based on an actual story that he encountered, experience, I should say, he encountered earlier in his life. And Oscar-winning actress Marley Matlin is the executive producer of Feeling Through. Now, the film stars Robert Tarango, and he is the first deaf-blind actor to star in a leading role in a film. A first. Yes, a first. The film also co-stars Stephen Prescott, and he's the teen character in the film. This movie has won a long list of prestigious awards at film festivals throughout the world. And now... And now it's been shortlisted for a 2021 Academy Award for Best Live Action Short Film. Now, earlier today, there was a press conference, Zoom press conference, about Filling Through, and it was moderated by the one and only Whoopi Goldberg. And at the uh, press conference, it was uh, Marley Matlin was there, the filmmaker, director, Doug Rowland, both of the actors from the film, along with their uh, sign language interpreters. So... Let's get to that. I re- we recorded the entire press conference, so let's get to that press conference panel, which is, again, moderated by Whoopi Goldberg and the rest of the panel uh, participants as they discuss the new hit film, Feeling Through. And when we come back, I'll tell you how you can see the film and get more involved in it. So let's roll it with the uh, press conference from earlier today and Whoopi Goldberg and Marley Matlin that it has already racked up one million views in the last three weeks. And it's the first film to star a blind deaf actor and was inspired by a real-life encounter that uh, the writer had. Uh, Doug has partnered with Helen Kellen Services to authentically cast the film and create a fully accessible screening event around the film, the feeling through experience, which they took across the country, uh, first in person and now virtually. Feeling through has won 16 awards on the festival circuit and hit 1 million views in the first three weeks. So I want to introduce Doug Rowland, who is the writer, director, and producer, Marley Matlin, who is executive producer, Robert Tarango, co-lead, first deaf-blind actor to star in a film, and Stephen Prescott, co-lead. So, first, Marley, I have to ask you this question because 
I would like to know the answer. How, what was it about this project that really got your attention? Because I know how picky you are. So what was it about this that made you want to get involved as an as a executive producer? Uh, hi, Opie. Uh, thanks for the, letting me hop on the, the description. First of all, I'm going to describe myself, what I look like. I'm a white woman with long, curly hair, and I'm wearing a blue jacket with a pink blouse. And I'm not as cute as you are. But <laughs> so we're going to go ahead. Um, uh, when I was uh, approached by Doug uh, to have an opportunity to see the film, I, I sure, I, I thought, fine, I, I'd be happy to look at it. I had never taken my eyes off the screen the entire time, the entire 18 minutes. I, my mind was blown by the authenticity of the film, by the, the actors' performances, by the storytelling, by everything, by the filmmaking that Doug put together here. And what really excites me about it, I mean, if, if something excites me like that, it means that I need to pay more attention to it. And from the moment that I saw the film, the first moment, I was hooked. And we connected, and I can say that the rest is history because I had to hop on. I really did. And so you decided I have to be part of this. What is the what's the thing that made you say I've never seen anything like this before? Because it's very unique, this movie. Well, that's true because it, the fact is the uniqueness is because it is. We've never seen a film display authenticity like this, using an actor who is deaf and blind in a role that is deaf and blind itself. It's never been done in film history before. You'll, you'll see people you know, portraying disability like a costume. They'll you know, take it off and put it on. And in this case, this is unique because it is authentic. And what's more, we... There are, I mean, there's always stories that are about, you know, you have a character who is deaf or a character who is blind in a, in a film, in a movie, for example, or even in television. Any, any character with a disability is always talked about that, oh, okay, they are disabled. We are talking about the disability. We are making it about this disability. And in this case, this film is not. This is a film that talks about a connection between two different people in the middle of the night who want to get home. And that's why I was so attracted to this film. It's a movie about two people, not about being deafblind, not about whatever deafblind issues are out there. So now, I'm going to ask you, Doug, um, what made you decide that I've had this experience and I need to make it an experience that I can share with other people. Uh, well, first, Whoopi, thanks so much for, for leading the conversation today. And uh, My image description, I'm a white male in my mid-30s, short, dark hair, little light little scruff on my face, wearing a blue jacket and a plain white backdrop. And, you know, every now and then we have those, those moments in life where every molecule in your being is firing knowing that in that moment you're going through something that will change you moving forward. And that's really how I felt um, in my interaction with Artemio 10 years ago, who's the p person that this film is inspired by. Um, and, you know, again, it started off really simply as just me, very similar to what you see in the film, me seeing Artemio standing on the street holding a sign that said, I'm deaf and blind and need help crossing the street. And, I, you know, I first, my first thoughts were, you know, this is the first deafblind person I ever met. And really just seeing him, that was what was the most resonant thing. But after I spent this hour plus waiting for, for a bus with him and really getting to connect in the same manner that you see the two characters in the film, me drawing one letter at a time on his palm, him writing back in a notepad, I got to know this man as this really charismatic, warm and just like beautiful person who had this smile that would light up any room that he'd be in and was just someone that I felt like I'd made a really profound connection with. And it was after we were giving each other big hugs goodbye and I'm kind of tearing up a little bit having this real New York moment of this fleeting intimacy as he drives off into the night wondering if I'll ever see my new friend again, I realized that in this one interaction I had gone from 
initially seeing this man as his disability, like, oh, wow, the first deaf-blind person I'd ever met, to seeing him as my new friend that's going off into the night that I hope our paths will cross again. And there was just so, there was so much from that interaction that stuck with me, but it was one of those things where, like, it, it was just firing in my, in my chest and my gut, and I just knew that I needed to somehow find some way to share whatever it was that I was gaining in that moment with other people. And it was, it was quite a long journey to get to here, um, but, but it was something that I just, it was just one of those few instances in life where you just have that gut feeling the moment something's happening, that this is significant. So how difficult was it when you set out to make this to find an authentic deafblind actor? That's a great question. You know, I, I knew, so at, at the time that I actually set out to make this film, which, mind you, was about seven years after the actual event, I wrote the film shortly after, but it lived on my computer for a number of years because I just didn't think I was ready to make it. But when I finally was ready to make it, I just intuitively, I knew I wanted to cast a deafblind actor, but I'd never been partnering with Helen Keller Services to make this film, which was absolutely necessary because um, they, you know, Helen Keller, Helen Keller National Center, which is the part of Helen Keller Services that provides services for people who are deafblind, they're based in Long Island and have the largest network of people who are deafblind in the country. They had never, they didn't know any deafblind actors either, but what, what they did was they just reached out to anyone that sounded like they fit the description of kind of right. what I was looking for to people all across the country basically saying, hey, there's this guy that wants to make a movie, like, are you interested in acting? And very, very fortunately, actually, um, Robert actually wasn't on our, our casting list that, that, um, when we were initially casting, but we had a break in the schedule, and Robert was actually working in the kitchen at Helen Keller National Center when we were doing our casting. And uh, halfway through the day when we had a break in, in, the, in our casting schedule, someone in the room goes, hey, what about Robert? Like, I feel like Robert would be great for this. Um, so Robert was just pulled out of the kitchen, not really being explained where he was going, lands right. in this room with some guy with a camera and is being told he's auditioning for a movie. And I guess you could say the rest is history. But, um, yeah, we, it was such a fortunate thing to be able to partner with Helen Keller National Center to, to be able to have that network to reach out to and, and, and have all the accessibility needs we needed to, to make it happen. So I have a crazy question to ask Stephen. <laughs> Stephen, what was it like to discover that you were going to be playing what ostensibly was a white guy. Well, thank you, Whippy, for facilitating this. And my image description is I'm a black male, fox braids and a man bun uh, with a white turtleneck. Uh, when I first heard that I was uh, being casted, I actually didn't know that the story was related to uh, Doug's encounter. Right. It was real life. But, um, you know, just uh, when I read the script, you know, I, I felt that it was uh, universal, you know, so uh, just being cast in it, you know, I was just uh, excited to be a part of it and my first time playing alongside someone who's a deafblind actor, you know, it was an amazing ex experience, yeah. Well, I, I want to say, Robert, in a way, you are a magical being because we, I don't think many of us have met a deaf-blind artist, an actor. So what was it about this story that made you say, okay, I will, I will try, I will try this out. This, this could be good for me. Hi everyone, my name is Robert. So my image description is I'm wearing a gray shirt, I have gray colored hair, I have tan skin, and I'm over 50 years old. But I really want to be involved with this movie because I really wanted to have a real deaf blind person play this role. You know, this industry is so competitive and Doug actually casted me for the film, which I was thrilled about. And I couldn't wait to be on board because I really want the deafblind community to have somebody to look up as a role model. 
to know that they can do it as well. So I really kind of wanted to pave the way for the entire community to realize that, you know, it's not just another hearing sighted person playing the role as a deafblind person. And I have to say, being involved with this has been just such an inspirational experience overall. Molly, I want to ask, I know the answer to this, but I, I want you to speak to why it's important to have authentic casting when you can. Well, do we have five hours? Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it, you know, in reality, it's, I can start by saying why authenticity is important because I can go back to 1985 when I auditioned for Children of a Lesser God, my first film. And the whole experience, the history of the casting of that film of Children of a Lesser God, the, the being able to get into the film, then going on to win a Golden Globe, and then an Oscar, and then getting all that attention, and then throwing people off because, oh, wait a minute, there's a deaf actor playing this role in Children of a Lesser God. And, I mean, there were critics who said, well, how is she acting? She, she won the Oscar out of pity. She um, was a deaf person playing a deaf role. So how is that considered acting? And, well, you know me, Kobe. I didn't stop there. And I wouldn't <laughs> let them define me. I wouldn't let them say, okay, you're, you're authentic, so what? Uh, I just continued, and I'm still here. So authenticity for me means it, it's... We, we can't look at disability, as I said earlier, as a costume that, that an actor can put on and take off. You are cast authentically as an actor because whether you're deaf or you're deafblind or you're disabled or you're a person of color even, it's, it's about experiencing the truth in the story and, and displaying that truth. We have to stop the artifice uh, where acting is about taking on somebody that is not who you are. Uh, you know, we have to stop all the isms in Hollywood, the racism, the autism, the ageism, whatever, and, and focus on authenticity in portrayals. It, and it, it's about the truth of the character. And it's, there are so many talented deaf actors out there, deaf blind people out there, disabled actors out there that could do so much, it could contribute so much to the industry. And a lot of times, and I'm talking about the past, a lot of times, People, producers, directors, even writers will say, well, let's use them and put them in the background. And let's, mm -hmm. We'll have that box checked. And you know what? It's time for us to carry the films. It's time for us, as I said, we don't have to dwell on the disability. We don't have to dwell on being deaf or being deafblind. It's time to focus on the story. Yeah. And I'm still fighting, and I'm still looking to collaborate um, with deaf, deafblind actors, disabled actors, to all work together with the industry to make things happen. The people who have the power in Hollywood to make things happen. And that's why I was so impressed with what Doug did and that he, he reached out to help with Killer Services because it was all about people who know how to get it done, people who know how to tell the story, people who know how to bring them into the, into the mix. He did his homework. And that's why I was so impressed and happy to help on board this project and go on this journey with it. And also what it will mean now for deafblind actors and actors with different abilities. Because, you know, if, if, if it was difficult for Doug to find the actor because, you know, didn't know to, you know, couldn't go to this agent or that agent and say, do you have, so now we need to populate this world, our world of actors with more differently abled actors, you know. Um, I have to ask, Doug, how, how was, did you have to make the set, uh, accessible? for Robert in particular, or was there technology involved? How, how did you make this work? Great question, and right before I answer that, just to pick up on what you were just talking about, to your point will be something that's so cool about this experience is that now having had the opportunity to take this film around the country, fortunately prior to the pandemic, we got to do these fully accessible screening events with as many as 50 interpreters and support staff 
at a single screening to provide one-to-one -one accessibility so that anyone could join in and have these panel discussions and Q&As and, and also taking it out online and having million-plus people see it. I've gotten so many responses from the deafblind community, not only that they're so thankful for the, their inclusion and portrayal in this story, but a lot of people who are deafblind who say, I want to be an actor now. I, I want to do this. And that's what's so cool about it. And, you know, Rob, Robert can talk more about this later, but something that I actually found out after the process was that actor, um, Robert, you always wanted to be an actor. You just didn't think it was possible because you didn't see yourself on the screen. And, you know, I think this is something that, you know, Whoopi, Marley, you, you know better than anyone here, that is fortunately getting more attention in Hollywood. But for me, what's been so cool about this process is seeing it through Robert's journey, through the deafblind community that's reached out, very tangibly and specifically why it's important. It's important because there's so many talented, beautiful people out there who don't even have in their consciousness the fact that this is a possibility because they never see it. And all it takes is that one person to do it, to open up this new space to go, I can do that too. I want to do that and I will do that. And that's what's been so cool. But uh, to answer your question will be about accessibility. Yeah, that was, you know, this has been this three-year journey from when I first approached Helen Keller Services to now has been an absolute masterclass in accessibility. And the way we handled it on set was very fortunately, again, got to work very closely with Helen Keller National Center and Robert ahead of time to make sure that we made this set as accessible as possible. Um, that meant uh, creating, you know, and again, Robert, can certainly speak for himself on this, but you know, Robert still relies on some vision that he has left, but at night where we, 95% of this movie is shot on location at night in New York City, he's completely blind. So we had to set up various um, lighting scenarios to be able to facilitate um, communication and with the interpreters and Robert. Um, and obviously make sure we had an amazing communication team on set at all times to help um, you know, the communication. So, you know, it was one of those things where, just to note that, I think a lot of times, and, you know, Marley, I know we've talked a lot about this, um, and, and Jack, um, but people kind of take this on as, as if, like, oh, accessibility is a whole other thing we have to worry about. It's, like, costly. It's so much trouble. I mean, movies are challenging and cost money. That's, that's just a given. Anything you do in a film is hard. But with the accessibility... It actually created such an, a beautiful, like, family vibe on set, and to have this whole new dimension for myself, for almost everyone else on the crew, to have a new experience, breathed a new kind of life into this experience that I think was not only not not only something that made it like harder or subtracted from it, but was super additive to it and made it like this unique, beautiful experience that it wouldn't have been without that. So. It was definitely a learning curve, but like such a beautiful new dimension to have as part of storytelling. Right. I want to ask Stephen because as as an actor, you are now immersed suddenly in a world that I don't know if you know very many deafblind artists or deaf actors. What was it like for you? Did you have to learn some signing? What What did you have to do? And were you a little bit freaked out? Because you were in such an, a different world? Yes, yes. I was a bit uh, a tad freaked out just a bit before I, like, stepped in. But um, when I met Robert, I wasn't, like, all of that, like, went out of the window. Like, you know, Robert, we built, like, such a great connection, and that's always important with me when I meet, like, any artist. And um, I, I felt like Robert was really talented. Right. So uh, it was easy for us to have that chemistry on set and um, thankful for the staff of Helen Keller, we were able to communicate and find creative ways for us to like, you know, know when it was time when the camera was action and when it was time for us to like stop and things like that. So, you know, it was very creative and fun at the same time. Excellent. So, uh, Robert, uh, I would imagine for a deafblind person, tactile signing is a key element for interaction and at uh, how was this handled during this pandemic time i mean how how do you do everything that you need to do in the time of social distancing 
whoever's speaking, well, it's hard right now. It's hard to communicate. Mostly I'm at home, so I'm communicating with my family. I do, we text message back and forth. My family is hearing. My mom does sign a little bit, so I can communicate with her as well as my sister. My sister also has Usher syndrome, so that's the cause of my deafblindness as well. We both have Usher syndrome. But really for us, the biggest thing is uh, being together as a family and technology really has been groundbreaking for us and really has helped with communication as a whole. Um, you know, right now with everybody with masks on, it is a challenge. It really does impede communication. Um, you really can't human guide when you actually physically grab somebody's arm because of touch. So now I really am a little bit more reliant on using my mobility cane to navigate. But, you know, really it's not an easy time right now. And it's causing a lot of communication mishaps. So we just have to figure out other ways to communicate. You know, we text back and forth. Um, I still have some vision, so I use a video phone to communicate, so I can still call and get in touch with other people. And I'd like to follow up, if you don't mind, will be uh, both Stephen and Robert said. And Stephen mentioned at first that there was a little bit of hesitation about what to expect before meeting a deafblind person. And of course, that's natural. It's the same way with a hearing crew knowing that they're going to have a deaf actor on set or a deaf blind actor for that matter. It's the same thing. It's natural that you always want to question how you communicate, but when you come together, you make it happen. You open doors, you open your mind, you open your heart, you meet halfway, and you communicate. Did you feel that once everybody understood the story, that you would find that you changed the hearts and minds of people who you were working with? Because I can't imagine that this story did not shake some folks up and perhaps have people looking at the world a little differently. I'll give that to you, John. Yeah, you know, I, I think that's the beautiful thing about storytelling is that at the end of the day, whether you're on set or you're watching the finished product later, you're, you're all there with that like common focus on the story that ultimately whatever trepidation or fears or questions that people have, the story is something that people really rally around and connects people ultimately. And you know, one, one kind of anecdote that comes to mind um, off the top of my head on set was, you know, I think initially as Marley was just saying, I think it wasn't just something that Steven was thinking about. There were a lot of crew members on set where that, you know, some even expressed a fear of working with Robert because it was a very unknown thing for them. And they, a lot of times when people have no exposure to something, they are fearful. Again, you know, rep why representation is important, but we'll get, you know, we can, that's a whole other discussion. But there was a moment where it was very cold when we shot this outside at night in a winter in New York. People were cursing my name a lot on set for making those choices. But, you know, there was this key scene between Steven and Robert where on the bench where um, the, at the bus stop where we did a wide shot and had a, this whole scene play out. And it was really challenging. There were a lot of little micro beats to it. And it was tough. And, you know, Robert was struggling with it and we all were kind of struggling with it. We went back inside to like warm up and really go through this scene micro beat by micro beat. And for this like two minute scene, we probably spent 45 minutes to an hour going through each second of it and really beat micro beat by micro beat. And you saw everyone in the holding room, they were kind of warming up and you just slowly saw them all turn their focus, watching us work together, seeing how committed Robert was to making this happen and how hard he was working as a first time actor, mind you, which is no easy feat. And, and we got walked right back outside First take, Robert nailed it, and I, I mean everyone on that crew rallied around him and was cheering and patting him on the back and going like, because they, they saw how much investment there was to get there, and that was a real turning point on set. From that moment beyond, onward, it was such a family feel on set. No one felt awkward or weird. We've had that like bonding moment, and I think people experience that when they watch the film, too. We fortunately have had the opportunity to share this film with you know, in person prior to the pandemic with 
thousands of people where there would be a lot of the deaf, local deafblind community present alongside the general public and so many people who had never experienced, um, known anything about the deafblind community would come up to us after and say, this was a life-changing experience for me. I now feel like I have a personal connection to this community that I prior, prior to this knew nothing about. And I also get so many emails of people who've seen this film and then like a day later or a week later see a person um, who's maybe blind trying to navigate a situation. They know how to approach that person respectfully, ask them if they need help and navigate, help navigate them somewhere if they do say they need help and say how that it's changed their way of thinking about and interacting with communities that they previously were maybe trepidatious or fearful of because they didn't know anything about. And that's, that's like, that's the power of storytelling is it's like this beautiful singular vessel that we can kind of all put our focus in on and then like come out feeling like much more connected than we did when we went in. Right. I have to ask you, Robert, because <laughs> you're a first-time actor, and acting is its not easy, um, but I'm curious as to how surprised were you when you discovered all of the itty-bitty minutia kind of things that go into making a film? Were you very surprised by it? Robert speaking. There's a lot that goes into it. But, you know, in my heart, my gut, I knew this was right for me, that I can do it. And again, this is my first time ever acting. I have never been working this business before. So I had a great team. We worked together. We talked about it. And I have to say, I will never forget that moment where I sat in the movie theater and I saw myself on screen for the first time. I couldn't believe it, that everything that we did to actually make this, it was amazing. I still, I'm still in awe from that experience and I couldn't stop smiling the entire time to realize that, wow, I made it. I finally did it. I'm so proud of myself. And knowing that, you know, not knowing or being in this business to realize that, I can do it, and how successfully I did it. I can't tell you how much that, how good that felt. I will assume that having a, a great co-actor helps. Um, I have to, again, ask you, Stephen, the two of you are marvelous in this movie. I want to start with that. Um, and I wonder what you were taking away from this experience as you were working with an actor who no one had ever really, has ever really seen before on screen, an actual actor who is deafblind. Were you aware of it or did it just fade from your mind and you were just working with another actor? Yes, yes, because I've been asked that question a, a few times, you know, like, you know, how was it working with a deafblind actor? And like, sometimes it always felt a little difficult to answer because I always felt like it was just a, uh, an actor that I was working with. And that's how I felt on set, like exactly what you said, like it was just, he was just a, a, a co-star and amazing. And the way we was bouncing off of each other was better than a lot of other thespians that I've probably worked, worked, worked right. with in the past. So. Yeah, I mean, like, I think it's important. I think what Robert did on on filming through already explains itself. Like, you know, you could feel it. I felt, I felt it when I watched him. So, uh, yeah, it, it's, his, his talent speaks for itself already. <laughs> I have to ask you. Go ahead. I'm sorry, because you did ask, like, what did I take from it? In the yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, well, I, I felt interested. I mean, what I took from it that, you know, that, Authentic casting needs to happen. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the best and quick way I can answer that. That's a good way to answer So, Marley, you have this young man come to you and say, I have this, this piece I want to do, and uh, I, I want to direct it, and I'm going to produce it, and will you EP it? How were you concerned at all? 
Doug being a director for this piece? With Doug being held or just in general? Just in, with Doug and in general. Well, I mean, with Doug, I came on after the fact. He brought me in as an executive producer after the film had been produced. So they had already shot the film. Gotcha. So I, I, as I mentioned, how he asked me to watch the film. And, and again, on my, I was just astounded by And we just hit it off right away. And I'm very grateful that the, the fact that he asked me and that the fact that both Robert and Steven did the work on, that they did on the screen and Doug and the crew and how, how elaborate they were. The, the, everything behind the scenes in front of the camera was just so beautifully done. And again, it's about being authentic. But I think I have to say that if anyone, you know, brings me, say, for example, a script that has to do maybe with a deaf-blind character or a deaf character or a disabled character, I, the first thing I'll do is I'll read it. If it excites me, if it feels truthful, if it feels believable, if it feels authentic, my like you, who, who get script, I'm sure you do, will be too as well, if it makes sense to you, if it makes sense to you for Hop Up Board, if it, does, if it doesn't, then I, maybe I can recommend it to somebody else and mm -hmm. can, I can connect them. I can make the connection for them. So that's what I typically do in this case. And what was he like as a, as a director, uh, <laughs> Stephen? I'm going to also ask uh, uh, Robert the same question, but I'm going to ask Stephen first. What what was what was Doug like as a director? Uh, Doug is very hands on, patient, you know, explicit. He knows what he's looking for, what he wants. So uh, he was very very great to work with, you know. And especially like times when I would, as an artist, sometimes I can second guess myself, you know. So uh, Doug would always point me to the side and tell me like, you know, you got this. Like, you know, just walk me through it and. and you know, he helped me in the best way possible, and I love what we got from it. So, right. yeah, he was very great to work with. And I'm going to ask you the same question, uh, because I, I feel like, as a first-time actor, how did you feel having having uh, Doug as your director? Working with Doug, honestly, was wonderful. It was easy and smooth and natural. Anything I needed, he would really take his time to work with me. And of course, our dynamics were a little different because we also had the interpreter. Sometimes things didn't always translate, so the duck had to assume the role to really demo it for me. But he was really patient working with me. And I just have to say, he was just a natural. He just he treats me as if just as like an average person. That, my deaf blindness wasn't even a factor. It just, it was a great experience overall and just easy. He's just a wonderful director and he really thinks about everything. And just, I remember just the final project, I, product, I can't believe what you created, Doug. Now, Doug, what, what is your process? What was your process like? You know, for me, I think the first word that comes to mind is collaboration. It's it's always a collaboration. And, and that's to your point, you know, what you're asking will be about me being a sighted and hearing director, you know, telling a story that includes someone who's deafblind and me being a white director who's also telling a story about a person of color. So, you know, for me, it's, it's about casting so important because I don't see, I see actors as direct collaborators in the story that we're telling. So I want someone who's not only like right for the part, but someone who's going to bring something to it that I could never think of or imagine, and that is adding a whole other dimension to what I could ever um, write. And I mean, when I tell you with no embellishment that um, it was like, it was just knowing at first sight the moment, the first moment I saw Robert and also the first moment I saw Steven that they were meant to be in this, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm saying that as literally as I can. It's those, like, kind of amazing moments you have when you're casting something when you just absolutely know the second they open their mouths, okay, that's it. I mean, like, well, we can do the rest of this audition, but, like, the second you open your mouth, I already knew. And that it was not just because they were, um, again, I knew them at those moments as just energetically feeling like they were perfect for the roles, but as I got to know them both as people, 
um, you know, leading up to the shoot, they were also just had beautiful poet hearts who had things to add to it and, you know, had a, 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 the ability to come up to Helen Keller National Center and, you know, meet with and hang out with and get to know Robert and work with him individually, get to walk around the streets in New York with, with Steven and go on long walks and talks, just getting to know him as a person and, you know, saying from the very start, I'm like, look, this is a collaboration and I want you to feel like you can always um, bring up anything that you think should be the case here. And, you know, with a lot of the scenes initially with um, Steven, Steven's character Tariq and his two friends in the beginning, like a lot of that was, almost all that was improv. It was just kind of like cultivating an atmosphere or an environment. So for me, it's like this, it's like the, like the words on the page are very important, but not gospel by any means. And, you know, it's, it's, I always welcome um, collaboration and, and really actually like require that from, from the actors that I'm working with so that it's the best ultimate product. Right. And I, I, so that's, I, that's called trust. You see, that's called trust. Trust. Uh, uh, we need more Doug Rollins, trust, uh, directors who trust. Yeah. Well, I think it also speaks to the actors because if the, uh, if the actors trust the director, uh, they're willing to go on this journey. And so, Molly, I, I wanted to ask you, uh, what changes still need to be made in this industry for deaf and deaf-blind actors? We have come a long way, uh, even way before my time when I started. Um, there were very few deaf actors, no deaf blind actors, uh, mm -hmm. deaf actors like Linda Bowes, um, Phyllis Freilich, um, Bernard Bragg, so many deaf actors who preceded me, uh, the generation before me and uh, before them. But they they tended to focus on theater that, through the National Theater of the Deaf in Connecticut. And they've been around a long time. Um, and they provided opportunities for deaf actors. And who became well known in the community and well respected, both, well, actually, both in the deaf and the hearing community as well. Um, but I mean, I, I can say that I've always wanted to be an actor. And I was fortunate enough to have met Henry Winkler, who became my mentor, when, who told me you know, to believe in myself and to not let anyone tell me otherwise what I should do in my life. And now fast forward, and I continue to act, and having won the Oscar, you know, I thought initially, well, great, I'm on my I'm on road to success. And I, I still face barriers. I still, you know, I might get work here and there, but I still found there were barriers in life. And the problem was is that there was a lack of communication, accessibility, inclusion, and collaboration. There wasn't enough in Hollywood. So that's why I would say to people, um, to the deaf community, to tell each other, you know, let's make noise. Let's not be angry noise. Let's say hello noise. Hello, we're here. Hello. And people thank me for paving the way um, for more, uh, to open the doors for deaf actors. But I say to them, no, it wasn't just me. I, and, and I can't even begin to do it alone. Uh, we all have to work together as a community. We all have to make things happen. So now if you're talking about Hollywood today, I think I see more and more um, roles out there for deaf actors. Now we have a deaf-blind actor. But I want to be able to see more films that a deaf actor can carry a film, can tell the story about whatever it is the story is in the film. Mm -hmm. uh, we don't have to dwell on being deaf. I'm not going to say hide of being deaf. We have stories to tell other than being deaf or being deafblind or being disabled. So I think the doors are opening even more, more and more, more and more directors, more writers, more, I mean, even in terms of casting, more deaf writers, uh, more, giving more opportunities. But we just have to keep on talking. We just have to engage. And that's all it really takes. Do you think that it, it that part of the problem in Hollywood is that People feel like, well, it, it'll be a lot easier if it's if it's somebody who who, at the end of the day, they can hear, they can see me and hear me and know what we're doing, and so I don't have to think about it. Do what? How do how do we change people's attitudes in terms of? Well, it's better 
for the piece to have someone who can authentically be themselves as well as be part of a story. How do we, what do, what do we, how do we do this? It, it's those people who are unwilling, perhaps, what, I can't be angry at people who don't take the time to learn or who don't take the time to open their minds and, and bring us into the conversation. I can't be angry at them. Maybe they don't have the education. Maybe they're just plain ignorant. All I can say is I need to focus on having a good attitude and I'm going to focus on people who are more than willing to think outside the box. And it's a new generation. We're in new times. Times now are, it's really time to let everyone into the mainstream to do whatever it is that they love to do, whether they have a talent or a craft. We all are people that need to be welcomed in. And we all have differences or disabilities or whatever. I mean, everyone has some sort of disability or difference. I mean, I, I, why is it that we have to shut the door just because you're different? I'm seeing more and more people like Doug, like the film that I just did, Coda. The director was more than willing to bring everybody into the mix. I mean, and we had sign masters on the set, we had deaf actors on the set, we had interpreters, we had everything that was accessible. And look how successful it was. So it's okay to say, let's incorporate these people. You want authenticity in telling the story? Fine, let's bring it in. Let's hire authentically cast actors. And I think more and more we're seeing this in social media, and the conversation is opening up that we are here, we do exist, we aren't willing to be hidden any longer. I love hearing that. Doug, tell us about uh, the accessible screenings you created for Feeling Through. Sure. So, you know, right when we finished the film, we knew, you know, right off the bat, we wanted to share it with the community that was really at the heart of it. So we knew we, first and foremost, before we thought about film festivals or anything else, we're like, we want to create screenings that are really for and include the deafblind community. So I worked with the Helen Keller National Center um, to, to figure out what all the accessibility components we needed to be able to do that and obviously, um, you know, get, get the, however many people we needed to facilitate that. And we started setting up screenings across the country. So we did, we were able to do 14 uh, cities um, prior to the pandemic. Um, and, you know, again, what that would look like at a, at a screening, there'd be as many as 50 interpreters and support staff. We'd have people we'd send out an RSVP ahead of time so that people could tell us what accessibility needs they had for, for the screening. And then we'd have as many as inter interpreters as needed for people who needed interpreters. You know, we'd have tactile interpreters, um, which is, is ASL signed into the hand for some of the deafblind community. We'd have stage interpreters. We'd have closer vision interpreters. Um, we'd have open captions on the screen that were a lot larger than normal. Um, with a black backdrop so they're easier to read. We'd have audio descriptive tracks for people who are blind or low vision, where all of the visuals of the films are being described. Um, and also accessibility needs taken care of to and from the theater. And, you know, again, it was such a, it was an amazing experience. And again, one, one amazing story that stands out that I think kind of encapsulates a lot of, sums up why it was so amazing and important was, at our very first screening in Cary, North Carolina, at this beautiful old theater on Main Street, um, we had, you know, again, we had 50 interpreters and support staff at that one, a ton of local deaf, blind, blind, and um, deaf uh, individuals at that screening alongside, um, you know, excited and hearing uh, viewers. And we would, we, we would do the feeling through, ex we call it the feeling through experience when we do these screenings, because we not only show feeling through, we had a supporting documentary following the process of making the film that we'd screen as well, and then do a panel discussion and Q&A. And the, one of the very first people that stood up at our very first screening was a gentleman who was deafblind, who would have the entire experience, both films and, and the panel, tactilely signed in his hand. And he stood up and he said, I love that film. Um, I, I, I was so moved by it, and I'm so happy to know that we have that representation on the screen. But moreover, I love being able to come and experience it in person. People oftentimes assume that because I'm deaf and blind, I, I wouldn't care to go to the movies, but I love this. I love coming to this theater and having this shared experience. I just never have the opportunity to do so. And it was such an amazing moment to have that be like literally one of the very first feedback, some of the very first feedback we got at our very first screening because it kind of 
you know, we, I'd understood that intellectually at that point, but that really dropped it in for me, you know, in a really immediate and visceral way of like, that's why this is important. You know, that's why we need to do it this way. And again, we were able to do 14 of those. Um, and, and then when the pandemic hit, as you, you know, noted, will be earlier in this conversation, um, it's particularly challenging for the deaf blind community, a community that often relies largely on touch during a time where touch is pro prohibited essentially. So we started to create these um, fully accessible or as, as accessible as we could virtual experiences that would have an interpreter like you see on the screen today, that would have live captioning, that would have a stream text link that was accessible for people who were following along with a braille display, um, and, and try to create that same accessibility or as at least as much as we could virtually. Alright, well I have to tell you all again, it's Everyone is really wonderful in it. Um, I feel like this is one of those movies that people need to see, if only to have a moment of taking a deep breath and watching a slice of life, because that's what it is. It's a slice of life. And that's the thing that makes it so sublime is that it's not a, a slice of black life, it's not a slice of deaf-blind life, it's just a slice of life. And there are no better films in the world than the ones that give us a view into a world not our own. So I just want to say thank you, thank you, Marley. You know, thanks for, for allowing me to come and do this. Thank you, Doug. Thank you, Robert. Thank you, Stephen. Um, and I just want to remind people, feeling through, make sure you find it. And that's, that's, our, that's my wrap with you all today. Thank you, Whoopi. We'll we appreciate Thank it. you so much. Thank, Thank you. you. My goodness. Thank you. My pleasure. My absolute pleasure. Okay, we are just about out of time. Uh, again, we want to thank... Uh, Whoopi Goldberg, Marley Matlin, and the wonderful people at London Flair Public Relations over in London, England, for inviting us to participate in this panel discussion. If you would like to see Feeling Through, they have their own website, feelingthrough.com. You can get all of the information as to how you can see it. One of the places you can see it is that it is running for the rest of February at the Slam Dance Film Festival, which is, of course, online. And uh, also, we want to note that Feeling Through was made in partnership with the Helen Keller Services. Okay, we are out of time. Thank you guys, as always, for listening, and we'll see you next week on another edition of Film Festival Radio Show. Have a good week. Take care of yourself. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to another edition of Film Festival Radio. With your host, Janice Malone. Be sure to download this and other episodes at filmfestivalradio.com.